is to me one of those fascinating things. You know, if you ever uh, connect with Jewish people, go to a synagogue or uh, any variation, what you'll notice is it's very different from a, a typical Christian church for many reasons, but mm. even just in procedure, it's not just sit and listen to a sermon. You know, it's a very interactive. It's whether you call it a discussion, a debate, or an argument, that's kind of the how it works, right? So, unfortunately, that has been their their way with God, too. <laughs> just like, no, I wouldn't listen. And so they tend to rewrite, and they just go really out of the way sometimes to just uh, ignore the obvious. And because the Day of Atonement is a national repentance and atonement, it's believed that it will be the day in the end times when Israel will look on Jesus and be saved. A lot of verses about that. Uh, John 19 says of the crucifixion, the one who saw it has testified to this. That's him, of course. And his testimony is true. He knows that he's telling the truth. So you may also believe. Now, these things happen so the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they they will look on the one they have pierced. So it tells you right away he's quoting the scripture. So that means the Old Testament had scriptures about the Messiah being pierced. Right. In Revelation 1-7, we find Jesus in his first talk when they when John first kind of arrives in the spirit. He said, look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all people on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. So notice you have piercing and mourning right there in that verse as Jesus is kind of preparing you. So what I want you to go back and look at is the book of Zechariah. It's uh, basically describing the war, the end times, the battle the Jews will have. And in chapter 12, the Messiah intervenes. This is all prophecy, but listen to the Zechariah 12, verse 10. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me, whom they pierced. Now, you got to ask yourself, that seems like one of those odd moments. It's God speaking. It's in the first person. He looked on me, whom they pierced. This is Old Testament. So you, if you're Jewish, you have to ask yourself, when did Israel as a people pierce God? So it's a prophetic look forward here. But Zechariah is one of the latter books written a few hundred years before Jesus. Now, of course, you have Isaiah 53. We're all pretty familiar with that. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with its wound, with his wounds were healed. So that's pretty straightforward, too. Flip back to Zechariah 12.10. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Mm. Now, digging in the Hebrew there, it switches to the second person for they. Now, that word only, an only son, is yachid. Now, that word is singular, all right? It's uh, not plural, it's singular. In every other scripture speaking about God, he's always described as echad, which is a plural word, like Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, they don't believe Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but it's there nonetheless. But regardless, every time God is mentioned and described from singular plural, he's always plural. So that word, Yahid, is rarely used. It's used to describe Isaac at Mount Moriah, who, of course, is uh, a singular version for him would be perfectly fine. And obviously, he's a, everybody would agree he's a picture of the Messiah, or at least the Passover lamb who would be a picture of the Messiah. But 
Yahid in Zechariah 12.10 is the only time this singular word is ever used to speak of God and is speaking of the Messiah as the only son. Mm. And he's the firstborn son. So again, if you're Jewish, you you got to ask yourself, when did we pierce God? And is this son... I mean, there's a lot of verses, but mm-hmm. these all together, they make you have to ask yourself. So in Acts 2, if you ever wonder, Peter's preaching at Pentecost seems to quote a verse which immediately leads to the conversion of 3,000. He's quoting Joel, but he's also, I think, they're thinking of Zechariah 12 in there. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And what did what made them do? It's the one you pierced. Whom you pierced. So, you know, in that day, they were very familiar, and, and it struck their hearts. And as you read the chapter, you have to ask, the next thing is, and they will mourn, right? They're mourning for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Mm. And in this case, in the cha- in Zechariah, you got to ask the question, why are they mourning? The Messiah has rescued them. <laughs> this is Yeshua Jesus, we see. They've finally seen him for who he is. And so the word made flesh, they recognize that, and it causes mourning. And I, I find it interesting that if you might have been remembering back in Rosh Hashanah 10 days ago, I was sharing the story of... Uh, the only celebration we really have of the Feast of Trumpets. When Judah came back from captivity, Ezra gathered all the people on the feast day and they read and he read them the Torah and and their response was to mourn as one great people. And it was why were they mourning? Because it was the first time they heard the word. Mm. So again they're mourning for the word. And because it was Rosh Hashanah, Ezra and the leaders told them to stop and rejoice. But it was also part of the days of awe, same as this 10-day period here. A national mourning happens, and it ends in joy. That's also kind of an odd thing, possibly Mm -hmm. prophetic. Both times mourning for the word. And if you remember Amos chapter 8, I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I'll bring sackcloth on every waist and boldness on every head. I'll make it like mourning for an only son. And it's end like a bitter day. Behold, the days are coming, says Jehovah God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of Jehovah. And it's worth noting here that the phrase, the words, isn't some prophetic declaration of God, like the word of God, but it's just his voice, his nearness. And part of the the battle, I think, for the Jews in general is they're in that season where there is a famine of just hearing his nearness and his presence and and so if there ever was a time where we need to pray for them yeah. Yom Kippur is, is that time Yeah. in Zechariah 13 you have these verses awake O sword against my shepherd against the man who is my companion says Jehovah host that's the host of the angel armies strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered again it's one very clearly speaking about Jesus and then I will turn my hand against the little ones, of course, the disciples. I'll bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They'll call on my name, and I will answer them, and I will say, This is my people. And each one will say, Jehovah is my God. And it shall come to pass in all the lands, says Jehovah, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. That's just a lot of prophetic stuff that will happen later on, but... In, in chapter 4 is the final war and the victory in the New Jerusalem. So you have all these scriptures right there. And it's just a lot of them that just like, you know, at some point you've got to say, you know, this is Jesus. This is the Messiah. This is whom. And one final note, 
It's on Yom Kippur every seven years and 50 years that the year Jubilee was declared with the blast of a trumpet. Mm-hmm. So this day is a real declarative. It's a it's an important day. And so I just want to kind of set that aside as this is one of those reminders for us. Why do we look at these feasts? Why do we remember? Why are we trying to learn and just understand? It's because, you know, you don't want to uh, repeat the same mistakes over and right. over. And uh, I'm sure they don't either. And, and yet here we are, all these years later, the Messiah that they were looking for they missed and really need to find